Chapter 1 Here too, like always, timing was everything. Five hours before, painting the southern, walling his apartment for the 250th time, Guy sat at the small cafe and trying to sip his coffee in a deliberate, calculating way. His body was tilted back a bit from the table, leaning in a position that was supposed to suggest a calmness engendered by years of self-discipline. With the small cough cup gently crandled between his fingers like a precious seashell. From the corner of his eye, he followed the progress of the second hand on the large clock hanging above the cash register. As always, in the final moments before implementation, he felt the semi frustrating awareness of his breathing and his heartbeat, which occasionally drowned out the tick-tock of the seconds. The cafe was half full. He glanced around at the people and again saw in his mind the spider webs that traversed the air, the thin invisible connections and linked them. Sitting across from him, at the other end of the cafe, was round-faced teenager, resting her head against the window pane, allowing the music produced by marketing alchemists specializing in teenage romance to flood her thoughts via thin earphone wires. Her closed eyes, her relaxed facial features, everything radiated serenity. Guy didn't know enough about her to determine whether it was indeed genuine. The younger woman wasn't part of the equation at the moment. She wasn't supposed to be part of it, just part of the background bus. An insecure couple on a first or second date sat at the table opposite the young woman, trying to navigate through what was perhaps a friendly conversation, or a job interview for the position of spouse, or a quiet war of which season camouflage by smiles and occasional side glances, in order to avoid the prolonged eye contact that would create a false sense of intimacy. In fact, this couple was an example of all hurried relationships that anxiously resolve around themselves. The world was full of such a coupling, regardless of how hard it tried to prevent them. A bit toward the back, in a corner, sat a student busy erasing the face of an old love from his heart. At a table full of papers covered in a dense handwriting, he gazed at a large mug of hot chocolate, immersed in a daydream disguised uh, as academic concentration. 
guy knew his name. Medical history, emotional history, nuisance, dreams, small fears. Guy had everything filled away somewhere. Everything he needed to know in order to guess the possibilities, to try to arrange them in accordance with the complex statistics of causes and effects. Finally, two waitresses with tired eyes were somehow still smiling and standing, conducted a quite intense conversation by the closed door to the kitchen. Or Heather, one of them spoke while the other listened, nodding occasionally, offering signs according to the predetermined IMPATATION protocol. Though it seemed to Guy she was thinking about something completely different. He also knew her story. Anyway, he hoped he did. He put, the, he put down the cup of coffee and counted the seconds in his head. It was 70 minutes before 4 o'clock in the afternoon, according to the clock above the cash register. He knew that each person in the cafe would have a slightly different time on his or her watch. Half a minute before or after didn't really matter. After all, people were not only differentiated from one another by place. They also operated in different times. To a certain extent, they moved within a personal time bubble of their own making. Part of Kai's work, as the general had said, was to bring these times together without generating the sense of an artificial, artificial encounter. Guy himself didn't have a watch. He discovered that he didn't ever use one. He was so conscious of time that he had no need for it. He always loved this warm sensation, which nearly permitted the, the bond. During the minute preceding the execution of a mission, it was the sensation that came from knowing he was about to reach out a finger and nudge the planet or the heavens. The knowledge that he would be diverting things from their regular and familiar path, things that until a second ago were moving in a completely different direction. He was like a main painting great in complex landscapes but without a brush and paint, simply with a precise and gentle turn of a big kaleidoscope. If I didn't exist, he would thought more than once. They would need to invent me. They would have to. Billions of such movements happen every day, corresponding with each other, offsetting each other and swinging each other. The tragic comic dance of possible futures. None of the protagonists were aware of these movements, and he, in one simple decision, 
saw the change that was about to happen, and then executed elegantly, quietly, secretly. Even if it were exposed, no one would be believed that what stood behind it. And still, he he always trembled a bit beforehand. First of all, the general had told them when they began, "You are secret agents. All the others are first of all agents and secondly secret. But you are first of all secret and to a certain extent also agents." Guy inhaled deeply, and everything started to happen. The teenage girl at the table across from him moved a bit, and as one song in the playlist finished and another began, he shifted the position of her head of the window pane, opened her eyes, and stared outside. The student shook his head. The couple. Still sizing each other up, chuckled in embarrassment, as if there were no other type of chuckle in the world. The second hand had already completed a quarter of its circuit. Guy exhaled. He pulled the wallet out of his pocket. Exactly on time, a short and readable summons. Toward two waiters from each other, sending one of them into the kitchen. He placed a few dollars on the table. The student began to collect all his papers, his too slow and pensive. The second hand reached its halfway mark. Guy put down his cup, still half full, exactly three quarters of an inch from the edge of the table, on top of the money. When the hand on the clock reached forty-two, he stood and waved to the waitress, who remained outside the kitchen, in a motion that communicated both "thank you" and "goodbye." She waved back to him. He started to move toward the table, as the second hand passed its three-quarter mark. Guy walked. Toward to the sun-drenched street and disappeared from the view of the cafe patron. Three, two, one. The kid stood in the corner, prepared to leave. Though it was Julie's table, Shirley would apparently have to take care of it. Now that her co-worker was in the kitchen. Not that she minded. She liked students. She liked cute young men. A cute student was winning combination, as a matter of fact. Shirley shook her head. No, stop these thoughts immediately. Enough with cute and charming guys and every other adjective you feel obligated to toss around. Been there, done that. You tried. You checked. You swore. Crash it, and now you've learned. Enough, it's over. You're taking a break. The other young man, the one with the melancholy eyes, waved to her as he began to leave. She knew her. 
She knew him. If one could know a man from weekly, silent visit. He usually drank every drop of coffee, leaving the half-muddy sediment of the bottom as if waiting for a fortune teller who would never come. And the money gently found folded underneath the cup. He left the cafe, and it seemed to her that she detected some tension in his steps. She approached his table and made a point of not looking at the student. After all, she was only a human being. An entire year had passed. Clearly, she still felt the need for some type of human, human warmth. She still could get, not get used to thought that alone was the new together. That she needed to be strong, genuine, alone and beautiful wolf in the snow or a leopardess in the desert or something like that. Years and years of chick flicks, sugared pop songs and superficial books and managed to construct a well-built fortification of romantic illusions in her mind. But it'll be okay. It'll be okay. She reached out her hand, a bit lost in her thoughts. She heard a soft noise behind her and turned her head. It was the girl with the earphones humming to herself. Even before turning her head back, Shirley realized she had made a mistake. Her brain now perceived the events as they transpired, predicting them timing them with the precision of an atomic clock, but always a thousand of a second late. Now her hand was moving the cup a bit instead of grabbing it. Now the cup, which for some reason was placed so close to the edge, was losing its balance. Now she was reaching with her other hand trying to catch the failing cup, cup, and she was feeling in the cup on shatter on the floor, and she cried out, a sharp, frustrated cry. And now he was, he was a student. That is, a young man, a young man who wasn't interested at all, lifting his head toward the cry, moving his head in the wrong direction, in an, and inadvertently spilling hot chocolate on his papers. And now Bruno was coming out of the kitchen. Shit! Sometimes you need to be a bit ruthless. The general would say, it happens, it's necessary. I myself really enjoyed this, but you don't have to be little sadist in order to understand. The principle is quite simple. Guy walked down the street, counting his steps until he could permit himself to turn around and look from afar. The cup should have already fallen. He would take a look, just one quick glance, to be sure everything was okay, to confirm. This wasn't childish, this was health curiosity. No one would notice, he was on the other side of the street was allowed to do this, and then he would go sabotage the pipe.
Schiller saw the student curse, his arms flailing in an effort to rescue the pages covered in a dense handwriting. She bent down quickly to collect the broken pieces of the cup and bumped her head on the table. Shit number two. She tried to collect the large pieces without getting cut. Her shoes were spotted with small coffee in stains, like the splotches of a hesitant giraffe. Did coffee stains come out in the laundry? Were the shoes even washable? She quite cursed everything and everyone. It was the third time this had happened to her at the, at the cafe. Bruno had made it very clear what would happen the third time. Leave it, she heard a quiet voice say. Bruno crouched next to her, crimson with anger. I'm sorry, she said. Really, uh, it was an accident. I just lost my concentration for a half a second. Really. It's the third time, Bruno muttered angrily. He didn't like to yell in front of the customers. The first time I said it was a big deal. The second time I warned you. Bruno, I'm sorry, she said. Bruno glared at her. Oh, big mistake. He really didn't like to be called by his first name. She didn't usually make mistakes like that. But what's going on with her today? Leave it, he said quietly, accentuating each word. Return to your uniform, take your shirt off today's tips, and leave. You're not working here anymore. And before she could utter a word, He stood up and went back into the kitchen. Now Guy was running. He still had a lot to do. Everything could not be prepared in advance. There were things he had to execute at the last moment, or at least check that they were occurring as they should. He had yet to reach the point where he could let the cups fall and then sit and watch on one event follow another. He still needed to give the events a small push in real time. He would need need to photocopy most of the material again. One of the waitresses, not the one who was collecting the pieces from the floor and looked like she was about to burst into tears, came to him with paper towels and helped him mop up whatever the pits had not yet absorbed. In silence, they quickly cleaned the table. He left most of the papers there. You can throw this way, he said to her. I will just photocopy them again. What a bummer, she said and pursed her lips in a sympathy. Bring me the bill, please, he said. I think you'll get it going. She nodded and turned around, and he caught a whiff of her perfume. perfume. A small old alarm quietly resonated in his head. Sharon's perfume. He needed this like a hole in the head. He blinked and continued to stuff the papers that were still dry into his bag. Then, with the table sparkling 
The waitress gave him the bill. He didn't even notice that he had stopped at Braden when she came near, just to avoid smelling her big mistake, her, her by mistake. When she moved away, she li he lifted his eyes from the bill and saw the second waitress, the one who knocked the cup over, leaving the cafe dressing in regular clothes. Guy sat at the bus stop and opened the little notebook. He was in a spot where she wasn't supposed to see him, but just in case, he pretended to be reading the notebook. He opened it to one of the first coincidences he had worked on. The mission was to cause a particular employee at a shoe factory to lose his job. The person was Brian, a composer who had never discovered his talent for music. In the first stage, Guy had to arrange for him to be fired. In the second stage, he had to expose the man to music in a way that would induce him to try to compose something. It had been a fairly complicated task for a flattened coincidence maker, and less exciting than other missions he dreamed of. Guy remembered being quite pretentious at the time. He tried to do something that far exceeded his planning abilities. Reading from the notebook, he remembered that he used a particular jump goal, flu shots, uh, and a power outage that paralyzed the entire factory. He failed, of course. They fired someone else because he didn't correctly calculate the employee's time of arrival. That was back when he only took the individual person into account instead of looking at the path, at that person's connection to the broader, broader picture. He hadn't paid enough uh, sufficient attention to the pattern of traffic jams on Thursday mornings on his composer's neighborhood. And someone else was at the factory at the time guy thought his mark would be present. The entire man maneuver he would try to execute was sketched on four pages in notebook. Four pages. Damn. Who did he think he was? Someone else arranged for the man to be fired five months later. He also managed to return the main guy and mistakenly fired to the nearly vacated position. Guy had no idea who did it is. He figured out. He figured several music composition would never be written because of his mistake. Not all the all of not all of his mistakes were corrected in this way. There wasn't always a second chance. Across the street, he saw the waitress who knocked it over. His cup arrived at the bus stop. At the moment, it seemed like the entire world revolved around the rhythmic tapping of her steps on the sidewalk. That and the small switch her arm made as it brushed against her clothes and the touch of the label in the back of the blouse. When she was irritated, she paid attention to important details.
she discovered this not long ago. It's strange, but it wasn't her abrupt firing that disturbed her now, but the feeling that it hadn't occurred as the, she imagined it would. Just like that, in a second, everything changed. Life was not supposed to treat you this way. Life was supposed to slowly bring you the teetings, good or bad. It should, shouldn't throw stones into your pond and point to the sickle, disturbing the water's tranquility with a malicious smile. Why did she have the feeling that what happened was like a head-on crash with a distant equivalency? just as you were turning the corner. It had rained earlier, and despite the bright and warm sun that now bathed the street, there was the smell of something new in the air. A small brown stream flowed at the edge of the street to the sewers, allowing a rude bus to splash her as it passed by, wetting her shoes again. She had missed her bus. Of course, it was on one of those days. She just had to get through it. She just had to get through it without serious bodily injury or something like that. And tomorrow would be more reasonable. Tomorrow there would be time for damage assessment, for a meticulous inspection or inspection of her basic fortification for a rational decision about how to move forward where she scolded herself for for her histronics so she'd been fired from work big deal it was a formative experience she would recount to her grandchildren or to a psychologist it was just a lost day you're quite familiar with these days like this you are good friends. No drama, please. She stuck out her hand. It could be an hour until the next bus came. It would be better to just get a taxi, take a long shower, and climb into bed until tomorrow. And tomorrow we'll see. We'll see if there is work somewhere. We'll see what to do about next month. You see what the instructions are for washing shoes. Guys was worried. She didn't seem despondent enough. He had expected a medium-high level despondency. Actually, actually, it might be good that she wasn't too despondent. She would remain open to new ideas. On the other hand, some light frustration peppered with a dash of sadness was like to make her yearn for someone to lean on. Or it could be something encourage her to stay away from people. I should have taken this possibility into account, Guy thought. I'm a, such an idiot. I should have calculated her level of despondency in advance. Precisely, you need to minimize the chance of error in all things per pertaining to choice. 
is the first lesson. Okay, not really the first, perhaps close to the fifth. Perhaps it's the tenth. I don't really remember anymore. In any case, she doesn't appear to be sufficiently despondent. What's happening? He asked. One of the passerby on the sidewalk stopped. What? What's happening? He asked again. Why aren't the, the cars moving? A water pipe burst. The man said. They closed the street. Oh, thanks. He tried around it. If he turned right here in the night, he should be traveling parallel and come to. No. There is no entry there. Maybe he returned right twice and then left. We are the one-way street, or maybe it wasn't a one-way street, but a dead-end street. Sharon always laughed at him. How did you complete officer training if you can't even navigate around the city? The city is different. Would tell her, it should be even easier. She would say, "I didn't have you in the course." You tell her, "You completely ruined my concentration." She would smile, that smile, and tilted her head a bit. An offside Mona Lisa smile. No, no, really, he would say. Maps, streets, diagrams, directions. I get everything jumbled. Right now, there are only two places: by your side and not by your side. So how am I supposed to remember how to drive to the movies? Huh? You tell me. And she would lean over a bit and whisper in his ears. Left, then right at the end of the block, and straight at the traffic circle, Commander. So the pages were ruined, ruined. So what? He wouldn't let they spoil his day or any day, any day at all. He would go home, toss all the loose papers into the darkest corner of the apartment, download a comedy, the most inane comedy he could find, something with college students or neurotic. Brits or Spanish women who spoke really fast, and then he would sit and with a beard and peanuts and enjoy them without any feelings of guilt. Then he would go to the beach. That was also a possibility. In any case, beer was an important ingredient. The beer would be insulted if it were not involved. You don't mess around with beer. He had learned. That the hard way. He tipped back his head and roared with pleasure. Every time he postponed a task related to his studies, he got into a good mood. So alive, he loved the zones. His happy, nice zone, the one that managed to see life beyond its obligations or something through which you would need to flow. One day you'll be a Zen teacher. I'll put people in cars and watch them roar and laugh themselves to life. But until then, we'll make do with being nice. 
will help some old lady will pick up a hitchhiker will buy a flower and give it to a random young arm on the street he was roaring with pleasure again